0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Hungry Takes, the podcast live from our studio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Matt, it is a Thursday night. This has become a weekly routine for us now. I'm so excited about another episode of Hungry Takes, the podcast.
1: Yeah, Joe. What's up, man? It's been a long week. I know uh, me and you were talking a, a little bit before the start of the podcast. It's been a tough week, but we made it. Another great show with Hungry Takes this week. I'm excited to jump into it, but, man, we're just going to take it easy tonight, right? Absolutely.
0: As always, quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes to keep up with our schedule. Matt, here we are in August, August 12th tonight, recording this episode. The NFL preseason is almost upon us, and you know what that means. With Hungry Takes, with ColorCast last year, Joe, uh, the Joe and Matt show did, of course – a uh, specialty of a lot of Saints games on the app. Look forward to doing that again through Hungry Takes this year. And in honor of that, Matt, let's talk about the New Orleans Saints, our team, and their first preseason game of the season on Saturday at Baltimore against the Ravens. Um, there's so many storylines right now with the Saints that we could talk about. Where, where do you want to start when we're talking about the Saints? Yeah,
1: look, when it comes to football right now, when it comes to life, there, there's just so – many things out there and I think in this game we could talk football Joe or we could talk about some of the other pressing news that's out there such as Lamar Jackson tests positive twice or has COVID twice so What's his performance going to be like? We could also talk about the latest uh, breaking news headline on ESPN, which is either you get vaccinated or you produce a negative test in order to get into the Saints game. So, I mean, whichever angle that you think our listeners want us to go, if we get some feedback in the chat, do you want us to talk football? Do you want us to talk uh, Saints football particularly or COVID vaccination and football, whatever it is? But, Joe, let's just talk about the Saints for the time being.
0: Yes, and really the story starts for the Saints this year. For the first time since 2005, they're looking for a new starting quarterback. Drew Brees is now on the payroll for NBC Sports as a commentator, and so that means that either Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill will be starting for the Saints under center in 2021. Who do you see as the favorite to win that job?
1: Yeah, so it's it's definitely going to be Jameis Winston, right? And a couple things that I've seen – uh, and how I think it's going to play out. First off, Taysom Hill to start is just a gimmick guy, right? He's he's a professional Tim Tebow. Uh, he's one of these guys that is truly athletic, but at the end of the day, he's not an every-down quarterback. And then I think the other side of Taysom Hill is there's always injury possibilities. I think he was hurt like two or three times in BYU alone before getting to the NFL. I think uh damaged both ACLs, maybe in both knees, I think. Uh, but now switch it to Jameis Winston. What I've seen with Jameis Winston so far is that in practice, he's looking really sharp. There's some film out there right now where he's looking awesome. There's a couple interviews out there, which, Joe, the word I would use is astute. I never thought I would say Jameis Winston and astute in the same sentence, but it's true. He sounds, sorry this is going to sound bad, but he sounds more intelligent, more mature, and just very choosy about how he talks he talks like a professional and a leader and the last thing I would say is he looks like he slimmed down so all signs to me point to Jameis
0: yeah I've been really impressed with him in some of his interviews interviews uh, during the preseason and the thing about Jameis Winston that he adds to this offense is the ability to throw the ball downfield for the first time in about six or seven years for the Saints offense and I think that Taysom Hill is better served in the role that they've utilized him in the past three years with Drew Brees. I think you just have Jameis Winston take Drew Brees' place as the quarterback, open up the playbook a little bit more, and then you let uh, Taysom Hill continue to play his role and just let kind of the team take off from there. But the other big storyline, Matt, is what is the status of Michael Thomas? We had that very mysterious development where he delayed his surgery on his ankle, and waited until June to get his surgery, and so that's going to put him on the physically unable to perform list for the first few weeks of the season. Sean Payton is really upset about this. Michael Thomas missed a lot of games last year, and now reportedly he's wanting a trade from the Saints, some sources are saying. What do you make of Michael Thomas?
1: Yeah, so there was something wrong. And, you know, it, for all our listeners, Joe, from last year that that watched us, listened to us uh, week in, week out, you know, it's something I kept saying is that something feels wrong with Michael Thomas, right? Like he had this ankle injury, uh, this high ankle sprain, and then he came back and he didn't look great. And I want to say he got to, like, week 15 before he called his first touchdown of the season or something like that, right? So I think – there was something bigger going on with Michael Thomas. Like, I think he was injured, but I also think there was some kind of breakdown either between him and Drew Brees or between him and the organization. So I fully expect Michael Thomas... Uh, will make other arrangements. I think he becomes a trade piece, which makes sense because the Saints are in a rebuilding kind of phase right now without Drew Brees. So I totally think Michael Thomas moves on. The crazy part is he's still going in the top 10 uh, for NFL fantasy draft picks. That's the crazy part.
0: I saw that as well, and I was surprised. You know, when he's on the field, he's definitely effective. Last year, he just really wasn't on the field that much. So you have the wide receiver question marks. I was really stunned that the Saints did not draft a receiver. Back during the draft also they have questions at the cornerback position they're very thin there because Patrick Robinson who's been in the NFL for about a decade won a Super Bowl with the Eagles he's surprisingly retired this past week so I don't really know what's going on with the Saints but objectively speaking I do think Matt this is still a playoff team I think their roster is very talented I think it's just unfortunate they play in a division with the Buccaneers because I think that talent wise with the depth they have on the offensive line they're as dangerous as any team in the NFC. It's just some of these question marks about whether they can actually contend.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, there's there so many other things. Like the Saints lost Emmanuel Sanders, right? From the wide receiving court. If they lose Michael Thomas. That's a crazy blow. And so, Joe, it becomes what do we, what do we think happens with the Saints, right? And here's what I would say. The the conference gets weaker, right? Because you lost Cam Newton in in uh in Carolina, you uh, you lost Julio Jones in Atlanta, and then of course Aaron Rodgers on the other side, you lose him, right? So I do think the division gets a little bit weaker, which is a good thing. And then the other side is, look, Jameis Winston was eight and eight in Tampa Bay, throwing forty picks, right? He was the best player on the field for the defense. Joe, they had fourteen points in every single game. If he is able to mature, learn a little bit from Sean Payton, if the Buccaneers can go 8-8 eight and eight with what he had there, then I think the Saints can at least win 10 games this season, right, which allows them to be playoff contenders.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the way I, I praise the situation, too, for the Saints. Matt, I think that this is a 17-game season this year in the NFL, of course, so I'm looking at maybe a 10-7 and seven or 11-6 and six season being very doable.
1: Yeah, and and I do think Winston obviously is the linchpin there because I don't think Taysom Hill can play that full-time quarterback role. With that said, Winston can't throw it to himself, right? He's got to have wide receiver help. Losing Michael Thomas would be a huge blow, but the division did get a lot easier in my opinion. It did. It did. So we will see how the Saints fare on
0: Saturday at Baltimore. Even though it's a preseason game, probably expect to see a lot of both Winston and, and heel so they can kind of get some reps and see who's more comfortable in that setting. We'll see how the Ravens look as well with their defense, which is always historically very talented. Speaking of talent, Matt, as we transition to our second topic here tonight, I know you love to talk some basketball. In the USA, men's basketball team won the Olympic gold medal. Kevin Durant pretty much single-handedly led them to this victory. Um, what was your impression on that win?
1: Yeah, thank, thank the Lord for Kevin Durant, right? I mean, him and Dame Lillard. If Kevin Durant and Dame Lillard weren't there, I don't know what happens to Team USA. They probably don't even make it to, uh, to the Olympics, to be completely honest with you. So I give Kevin Durant all the praise in the world, even though a lot of the times, you know, there's a lot of stuff he does during the NBA regular season, I'm not a fan of. But what he did for Team USA is just so extremely important, and I appreciate him doing that because it is on a volunteer basis. And also keep in mind, he's coming off a major Achilles, uh, like season career-ending type surgery, right? So big props to Kevin Durant. As far as Team USA is concerned, I really think it's great they won the the Olympic gold. I think my issue with Team USA is we all expect and depend on them to win, right? We take for granted – Uh, the fact that they win these gold medals, and we shouldn't do that. With that said, I think Team USA as an organization needs to do a better job putting a better team out there because the international competitors get better and better every Olympics, and I just don't know how much longer we're going to keep rolling out the B squad with Dame Lillard and Kevin Durant and then expect to win a gold medal.
0: Yes, and as I said, I think on the show the last two weeks, I still cannot fathom the fact that Steph Curry, a two-time MVP, three-time champion, has never participated in the Olympics. Three years from now, maybe he plays, but he won't be uh, the player that he's been the last few years. This would have been, I think, a great uh, season for him to participate with the outstanding numbers he put up, up offensively for a lackluster uh, Warriors team. So we'll see who's on the roster in uh, France in uh, 2000 and, um Twenty four. I mean, gosh, it's three years away because, you know, the schedule got kind of uh, dismantled, of course, with COVID. They're um, going back to that every four years. want to keep it an even numbered years. But my big takeaway, though, like we said, with Kevin Durant, you look at how well, Matt, he performed not only in this gold medal game and throughout the Olympics, but the last three Olympics where he's won gold. He scored 30 points in the closeout game in 2012, 30 points in 2016, only 29 points the other night.
1: Yeah, only 29 points. I mean, to me, he is the hero of the team. But, Joe, here's kind of what I'm thinking. At what point in time do we stop telling the older Team uh, USA players, the older players in the NBA that they're going to be a part of Team USA and understand, like, they'll tell you that this is the ultimate achievement. Like, they want NBA championships, but that gold medal means a lot to them. But my point here is, at what point in time do we start looking at the younger guys, right? You make a team of Zion Williamson, Trey Young, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham. I mean, all these guys are one and done in college. They come to the NBA. They're so talented. They're so young. Why don't you let that become Team USA and let these older guys not – go out to pasture, but their duty has been done, right? Because if you follow that format, Kevin Durant and Dame Lillard and all those guys would have done their time in their early 20s, right? And to me, that makes more sense than rolling out players that have been in the Olympics three and four times uh, like a Kevin Durant.
0: Yeah, that, that's definitely a worthwhile point. Um, it's getting to the junction where you would expect some of those younger guys are going to get some time. I know that Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green will be on the roster undoubtedly in 2024 at Paris, but why not give them a chance now? I know Christian Leitner participated with the Dream Team, I think, before he even played a game in the NBA. Yeah,
1: and, you know, my two thoughts there. The, the first one is that team could have had Shaq on it, right, that 92 Dream Team. If you would have followed the same principle, it would have been Christian Leitner, Grant Hill, Shaquille O'Neal. So the idea that these young gunners can't play in Team USA like, in, uh, to make the entire team is crazy because in 92 – that team with Shaq and Anthony Hardaway and Chris Webber, those guys, they would have won gold as well, right? And the second thing I would kind of say is, Joe, looking at how this Olympics played out, Team USA versus France in the finals, it's going to be in Paris the next go-around. They're still going to have Rudy Gobert in the fun bunch, right? France is going to be a monster in the next Olympics. Yes, and
0: they'll be motivated. Hopefully fans will be allowed in Paris, and they'll definitely be behind their, uh, their nation and their team to try to win in the uh, rematch, hopefully, for them. Um, speaking of you know anticipated matchups, you look Matt at the NBA Summer League is upon us, and of course that's getting a lot of traction on ESPN, ESPN2 um, during the last few weeknights. And the big blockbuster matchup a couple of days days ago was Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham, the number one and number two picks in the uh, recent NBA draft. And Jalen Green got the better of Cade Cunningham in that matchup. He scored 25 points. Cade Cunningham, I believe, had 20 points. Uh, what do you think about uh, that game?
1: Yeah, I think Jalen Green's going to be the guy to watch here, right? Because Cade Cunningham is still coming from a college background. What we've seen now, now Zion has kind of come to, to terms a little bit quicker than I thought he would. But what we've seen is that it takes these guys straight out of college two or three years to actually mature into these NBA bodies and learn how to play on these NBA teams. The guys like Jalen Green, who's been in developmental league for a year instead of going to college, LaMelo Ball, who went and played overseas, R.J. Hampton, those guys all seem to mature and are able to handle the NBA basketball Better at a younger age. To me, the, the X factor there was on Williamson, is just that he's so large and so muscular, right? I mean, he had a legitimate 30 year old body at the age of 16. And so as far as that's concerned, he's able to, to to deal with the the rugger the rigors of the NBA. But yeah, Joe, my point here is these guys like Jalen Green, you're gonna see him become a superstar this year because he had a full year in the developmental league, whereas Cade Cunningham's still gonna need time to transition.
0: Those are definitely worthwhile points. And we see history tells us that usually the number one and number two picks don't always pan out together. Uh, the only example I can really think of off the top of my head where a number one and a number two were both Hall of Famers is uh, Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes, and that was back in like the 1960s or 1970s. Right. Like in the modern era, there's so many cases of like a Greg Oden, Kevin Durant. Like, it's always one or the other. Well, you know, look at
1: LeBron James' draft, right? Yeah, I mean, um, with Darko Milicek. Darko
0: Milicek. Or uh, what was the draft with uh, Michael Jordan? I know it went three, but it was Sam Bowie and Hakeem Olajuwon. Like right. it's always one or the other. It's never both. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. So, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Matt, as we transition here tonight, I know one of your favorite uh, segments is, of course, anything that talks about food in honor of Hungry Takes. And the Hungry Take for tonight, I wanted to delve into – Um, kind of an exploration of french fries and i know that french fries are a side dish you don't really think about going to a maybe a restaurant or a fast food place and just ordering fries as a main course i know some people will get maybe like smothered fries or cheese fries have a lot of toppings on them but matt i wanted to ask you for our listeners uh appetite entertainment if you could maybe talk for a few moments about your favorite places to get
1: french fries Yeah, I have two that that stick out in my head, right? The first one is going to be Burger King, which seems like a cheap out, but I really do. About five or six years ago, maybe getting closer to 10 years ago, they redid the recipe on their French fries, right? They used to have horrible French fries. They, they redid that recipe. Kind of reminds me of what Domino's did with their pizza crust. Now they have really good French fries. The second one I think are highly underrated. It's going to be Arby's curly fries. I absolutely love them. I love the crispy nature. I love the flavor. Those are my two bugaboos, Joe. Okay. Those are definitely good choices. I can't really
0: think of a specific restaurant that comes to mind, but I've always liked some of the different ad- adaptation of French fries, like the crinkly French fries. I don't see that enough. Uh, I think McDonald's has some good fries. I'm not a big McDonald's person. try to avoid some fast food, but McDonald's to me has tasty French fries. Um, I also like Wendy's French fries pretty good.
1: Wendy's French fries are good. I will kick out uh, Cane's, right, because they have the crinkly cut fries, and they are delicious. It kind of goes with that theme of delicious chicken, delicious bread, and delicious French fries. My other ones, which are not French fries, but I'm going to kick them in there, Tater tots, Joe. I love Sonics tater tots, especially fully loaded chili cheese. Give it to me. I love it. I see a lot of people
0: order those. Now, I never was much of a tater tot person growing up. I think part of it was because some of the tater tots in my high school cafeteria just weren't that good.
1: I, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know you. Are you American at this point? I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, uh, with French fries, though, I was talking about with you before the show about the disappearance of hot fries as a concept you know you think about you used to be able to get hot fries and bags of potato chips at vending machines or at the grocery store the uh, gas station I, I don't see hot fries as much anymore
1: no you don't and i remember being a, a young buck uh walking through the gas station seeing those hot fries because you always look at them you're like those are pretty good but they were always cheaper right they, they weren't the most expensive french fries hot fries out there But I always remember, I told you before the podcast, a blue bag with what I thought used to be like a spy, a guy with a hat. He was like a a burglar or something, I think, was on the bag.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely what it was. And I don't see that uh, trademark anymore that often. Of course, I can't really remember the last time, honestly, I purchased anything out of a vending machine, especially with COVID. I'm kind of turned off from vending machines.
1: I understand. I totally understand.
0: So that is our... Hungry take for tonight, and now, Matt, we have arguably the most anticipated segment of our show week in and week out, and that is the hangry rant. And tonight's hangry rant, I think, is going to be a very special and novel installment on this show. Matt, why don't you tell our listeners set the stage for this Hangry Rant.
1: Yeah, let me let me start here and I'll be quick because we got to get to it. So this is going to be, Joe, I'll go ahead and throw it out there, our best Hangry Rant of the season in my opinion. So to set the stage, basically we have a group text uh, with some buddies on it and someone said something over the weekend and then I made the remark that Major League Baseball is dying, right? And I also threw in there that Dirk Nowitzki is one of the worst basketball players to ever live. That's a different Hungry Rant. But today's Hungry Rant, Joe, is going to be about Major League Baseball because what I sensed in that group text is you kind of take it personally. It's emotional. You love baseball. I stand on the other side, and I don't look at it from a place of passion. I look at it from just logical reason and what I see happening in sports landscape.
0: Yeah, so Matt, I have a couple of initial thoughts. First and foremost, I think what bothers me about the criticism I hear from people about baseball is it's completely unwarranted. It's not instigated. I feel like baseball fans like myself, we're not over there criticizing sports like golf and tennis. We're saying that's fine if you like those sports, I prefer baseball. But I hear so many people that watch golf, which I think is a slow moving sport, hate baseball. And I'm like, that defies logic because both of them are slow-moving, relatively boring sports unless you've participated in them. And so I think baseball, is nothing wrong with the sport, and I have more reasons I can give
1: you, but that's my initial thoughts. Yeah, so – I think, let let me clarify here. I said in the text that Major League Baseball is dying. Joe, I want to actually amend that. Major League Baseball is dead, right? I want to put that in a different context. So, to your point here, golf and baseball are both slow, right? And it takes a certain amount of patience. But what I would tell you is that golf is trying to proactively. Energize the fan base. They're trying to speed it up. They're trying to, to to recruit young guys to play golf really ever since kind of Tiger Woods burst on the scene to make it more lively. If anything, baseball's going backwards. If you look in the 1970s, an average game was like two hours and 12 minutes. And I think one of the last divisional, like NL division game, uh, it was like three hours and 30 minutes. There were 12 pitcher changes, Joe. Why does that matter? Because we're talking about a world that we currently live in where people can't go one minute without touching their phone, but we expect them to stay focused for 12 pitching changes. I have two responses to that. First and foremost, think about on the Sunday at the Masters,
0: how long that final round lasts. I know that the top players are only out there maybe three hours, but it's on CBS from like 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. And that's five hours. That's a marathon. Also, the five-hour World Series Game 7 in 2016 got great ratings with the Cubs and the Indians. That was so historic. And then finally, Matt, I did some research in anticipation of this conversation tonight. In the World Series in 2020, Matt, you want to hear the ratings. This wasn't even in a pandemic year. The World Series in 2020 between the Dodgers and Rays averaged 9.7 million viewers. The closeout game in Game 6 averaged 12.2 million viewers. On the flip side, the sport of golf that you say is not dead, it averaged 9.45 million viewers for the Masters this year after the pandemic was kind of, you know, uh, coming out of that a really horrible stage. In last year in 2020, the Masters averaged 5.59 million viewers.
1: So baseball is definitely ahead of golf. So here's the deal. You have to look at like data and statistics are wonderful, but you have to look at them in context, right? So here's the context. Joe doesn't tell you about that, okay? So he said, baseball averaged 9.5 million viewers, right? That is down from 2009 when it averaged 45 million viewers for the World Series, right? So it's down five times where it was. If you look at attendance, it's also the same situation. If something like 79 million people over the course of a year attended a baseball game, now it's down to like 12 million. I forgot the statistic, but it's something that drastic. So you look at it in context. That's what I would say is go back to golf and see if the sport is growing or dying. So here's some other ones. You threw out one argument. Let me give you a few more. And also, I want to hit this real quick in the chat. It says, uh, this is crazy considering baseball is far more accessible cost-wise than golf. And I think that's a great point. It is, right? Not only is golf expensive to play, it's expensive to get the equipment. You can just walk outside and and start playing baseball. What I'm going to argue is it's a fundamental issue in baseball. So hear me out. Here It goes like this. The first thing is going to be about the players in baseball. It's supposed to be the American pastime, except baseball players are no longer American, right? They're all from Venezuela, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. The the number one superstar right now, Shota, Shohai Altani. I got to stop you
0: right there. Japan. Where is Giannis from? Where is Luca from? They're not from the United so, States. So, so that, that's a double standard. We have caught Matt. No, we no. caught him with his hand so in the cookie the, jar. The I, I got to hear
1: an answer to this. Sure. The funny part about Giannis, and you're free to go do the research, is before Giannis broke to the NBA, he was actually homeless and didn't even have a passport to get into Greece, right? So now that he's become a superstar, all of a sudden, now he's he's a Greek national, right? Let me throw out some other stats. Look at Mike Trout, who is arguably the best baseball player to play since Willie Mays. From right? the United States? From the United States. Okay, Tom Brady's likeness scale on a scale from 0 to 100 is a 79, right, in terms of viewership. LeBron James from 0 to 100 is a 75. Mike Trouts is a 22. Not because he's not likable. It's because no one knows him because he won't actively go out there and and get sponsorships, be in the public eye. The last two things, because I don't want to hog this take, this hungry rant from Joe. The last two things I'll tell you, is that um, you know baseball in and of itself, I think the problem is, I read a statistic It said that 7% of baseball fans are under the age of 18. So I think the problem is as these other sports get younger and more athletic and pull in younger fans, baseball is staying with its older fans and that's alienating the younger fans, if that makes any sense. And the very last thing I'll say is the last time baseball had an official spokesman that people knew about would be Ken Griffey Jr., What you look at sprite look at nike look at adidas look at all the major brands under armor it's football players it's basketball players and it's golfers right who is the last baseball player that was actually out there as the face of a brand well who outside of tiger
0: woods would you put as a face of a brand for golf like that's the only player for golf that i hear the talk shows talking about you know on the weekdays like first take i feel like baseball you know, is kind of in that same conversation, and I'm with you on the fact that I would criticize the NBA, the MLB, objectively speaking, that they need to do a better job with marketing. They're not doing as good as they need to do. That's absolutely something they need to do with marketing their players. But that of itself does not mean the sport is dead. When you compare and contrast the ratings, it means it's still alive. You look at the grassroots level; a lot of youth are playing baseball, not only in the United States but globally. With the point of Shohei Otani college baseball is at an all-time high with the trajectory going up on ratings a lot of those players are going straight to major league baseball and not really spending as much time in the minor leagues speaking of the minor leagues think about how many players matt are participating in the professional ranks in baseball more so than any other league the nfl doesn't have a minor league system like that the nba doesn't have a minor league system that big hockey doesn't and finally major league baseball is the longest running team sport in the united states 150 years, basically, going back to some of the tradition of the National League. The World Series has been around since 1903. 1903 is long before the NBA, the um, NFL, major college football, before those were even more than a dream. Major League Baseball is still
1: alive today. So Major League Baseball is the American pastime, right? It's, It's what we're supposed to be known for, except we couldn't even win gold in our own sport that Americans known for. So that shows you the quality of the players that are out there. But Joe, here is really the core of the issue. If someone's going to say, "Matt, why do you think Major League Baseball is dying?" Here it is. And we'll close out the show with this, right? To me, it's about data analytics. The truth is pitching has gotten better in Major League Baseball, and that is wonderful, right? Because that is a talent, that is incredible. However, it makes the game more boring. Like no one wants to sit there and watch 15 strikeouts, unless you are a baseball purist, right? You're not gonna intrigue a 10 year old kid, a 12 year old kid in a game with no action, right? So I think that is the biggest problem is because of data analytics, we have gotten so focused in baseball on pitching and all the small nuances that eliminate the offense. You're seeing the same exact thing happen in baseball and you're seeing true basketball fans like me shy away from basketball because of data analytics and shooting three-pointers, right? So I think you're seeing the same trend in basketball. The very last thing I would say about baseball in general is just that it is a team sport. It is an individual sport, excuse me, that masquerades as a team sport. Like you bat by yourself, you field by yourself. If you're the pitcher, if you throw a perfect game, no one else is even in the game what except the catcher a Great defensive to throw a bat.
0: players oftentimes save perfect games.
1: But defense is not the excitement. If you look at a Super Bowl, if you have a seven to three Super Bowl, everyone's gonna call it boring, but it was a defensive slug fest, right? That the purest of the sport will love it but not the fan base that you got to energize to buy tickets, the youth, the people aspiring to be the next Mike Trout. Joe, that's it for my hangry rant. Well, Matt, I would just close by saying I still think the point
0: is solid that I don't understand how anybody that loves golf can be so critical of baseball. I think it's completely unwarranted. As a baseball fan, I look at it like this. I'm fine if you guys like golf. If you like tennis, that's cool. Don't criticize baseball. Let us have that sport. Let it stay – In the public sphere. I think it's a great sport. I think it's still relevant globally. You know, it's not the best marketed sport. I agree with that. The league needs to work on that. They need to get into the realm of social media more, but the sport is still very much alive and I'm ready to watch some baseball. I was watching baseball earlier tonight. I was watching the Field of Dreams uh, game with uh, the White Sox and Yankees.
1: Joe, the key is that Major League Baseball has to draw in people who do not already watch baseball. That is how you grow, and that is how you don't die. If you show me a solution on golf, I'll I'll understand it a lot more. In the next Hungry Takes episode, we will talk about golf. We will bring statistics and context about what's going on in golf.
0: And I'll bring them as well on baseball, having more ratings in the World Series. So, guys, we got to leave it there. That was a very energized, probably uncharacteristic from my standpoint, passion in that hangry rant. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, fun debate with Matt. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight for Hungry Takes. You can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes. Appreciate all the comments in the chat. And we will be back very soon with another episode, probably next week. Have a good night.